Welcome to the Adult Candy Podcast. I'm Miss Crystal, your host and idea slinger. What is Adult Candy about? Well, it's dedicated to cultivating creativity and sensuality in adults, which, let's be honest, is what we all want more of anyway. This exploration of mindful indulgence is in conversations with a very delicious mix of rebels, noted creatives, and sex-positive advocates of an imaginative variety. We dig into process and tools for facing fears and chasing dreams and keeping the magic in running the business of creative sexy cool. While this is absolutely going to be explicit with adult content and bursting with very sexy, the mission here is about embracing and accepting pleasure and desire, which is an internal process. And that is the foundation for any type of meaningful intimacy, passion, or sexual prowess. So buckle up or unbuckle, or buckle down, because in these very bizarro times, we absolutely can't go back. We go through. Let's get started. I'm so excited. Um, Welcome to Adult Candy. Um, I'm a huge fan, and um, I just... uh, So for our audience today, we have... Carolyn Elliott here, a PhD, and um, she has just released her extraordinary work, uh, Existential Kink, which I've already forwarded to numerous friends to immediately download (laughs) because it's just, um, it's just, it's really delightful. It's Thank you. uncomfortably delightful. <laughs> and I think that's probably what you were going for. Um, so let's just, let's, well, first, tell me who you are from, in your own words. Um, who is Carolyn Elliott? What does she do? What is that concept for you? And oh, we'll wow. Go, what we'll a question. I love this. Um, Oh, I'm I'm debating right now if I should give the halfway normal answer or if no. I should give the super weird answer. How about you? Um, you? I'm a, a prophet of Hermes Trismegistus. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard the good word of our Lord and Savior, Hermes the Thrice Great. Uh, but as above, so below, and as within, so without is the essence of the message, which means that we can create um, – change in the external world by changing things within ourselves, which is fairly simple, but not easy. There's some, uh, some major blocks to it that we need to overcome. And, and I hope that my book contributes a lot to that conversation about overcoming that. Um, I really believe in a magical worldview, and I like to share that with others. Um, I also believe that it's possible to reach um, a kind of lucidity, which is pretty much what I would call enlightenment. I think when people say enlightenment, this is what they're desiring and talking about, which is a lucidity in the dream of waking life, Mm. and that it's possible to reach that through using Western esotericism. Um, So alchemy, the Kabbalah, the tarot, ritual magic. Um, I believe that that Western esotericism is a different way of getting at the same truths that, uh, say, Tibetan Buddhism realizes about the ultimate nature of reality. Anyways, I um, started out on grand foot there. Um, <laughs> I'm also a lady who lives in Pittsburgh, and um, <laughs> I, uh, I often eat too much chocolate. I don't think that's a thing. That's mm-hmm. not a thing. <laughs> Yes. So I'm a writer, I'm a teacher, um, and I'm, you know, into the grand mythopoetic thing that's, that's going on for all of us and into being lucid within it and helping others become lucid because the more lucid we are, the more fun it is. So like, it's fun to have a lucid dream. It's like super extra a thousand times more fun to have a lucid dream with your friends simultaneously lucid dreaming with you. So that's what I'm aiming for. I think that that's a really accurate response. (laughs) And it's, uh, it's good. It's, um, 
Uh, I myself am also a big fan of the Emerald Tablets. Um, let's jump in for a quick second before we get into full-on existential kink about um, the offerings that you, your courses and um, which, and really being willing to take ownership of just like, which, that's what we are, find us here at this place, we're doing this, no apologies. Um, you know, big middle fingers up. Um, tell me how you got to that space of really being able to just say, I, I'm going to publish as this thing that people died for. Oh, thank you. That's a beautiful question. Um, yeah, so I feel it's interesting. I, so I, I guess I just want to acknowledge that right now there's a lot of people who are claiming and owning that term, which is beautiful. Like if you go on Instagram, search hashtag witches of Instagram, it's like, whew. so wow. it's amazing. Community. So much community. And um, so I guess when I really started actively claiming it for myself, it was around 2012, 2013, when it was not much of a mainstream thing yet. I had grown up in a, my religious upbringing was very strange. I'd grown up with Wiccan and Druid goddess culture stuff, but it, I didn't actually like it that much. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is so dorky. So embarrassed. Um, oh. My dad was into it, and I was like, you know, anyways, I ended up coming back to it, and one of the ways that I ended up coming back to it was I was involved with a very intense alchemical community that um, I credit for a lot of my growth, but which dissolved because the leadership had some nutty, shadowy things going on with it. Um, and in that community, people would say to me all the time, like, Carolyn, do you ever notice that you always get what you want? Carolyn, do you ever notice that if you don't want something to happen, suddenly it all blows up and, you know, and I think one of the times, and I would just be like, whatever, guys, just blame me for your problems. But one time we were on a group trip, we were driving to the airport on um, a trip that I didn't really want to go on. I was with four other people. We were supposed to go as part of our grander mission thing. I didn't really want to go. On the way to the airport, all four tires on the car blew out. And everybody turned around and looked at me and was like, Carolyn. <laughs> and of course, I didn't consciously do that, um, but I call that witching it. So that's like our unconscious magic. You know, we can witch things into happening without even realizing that we're doing it. And I began to get very curious about that because I began to be like, okay, well, maybe I did unconsciously do that. And wow, wouldn't it be great if I could have conscious, deliberate wielding of that power? I might be able to stop being like a broke cult member, and instead, maybe I could <laughs> create something beautiful in the world. So I started to work on that, and um, the process, so I took it as... Um, you know, a truth that I was unconsciously creating, not just blowing out the tires, but maybe everything in my life, including the things that I really, really did not like. And that was a very, and is a very humbling ego thing. It's an ego death to have to confront that. But of course, that's the nature of all spiritual growth. That's the nature of all mystery schools, all medicine paths is humbling oneself and having ego deaths as you encounter larger truths. Well, so that's the foundation I, for existential kink, really. Yeah. Wait, go ahead. Say, say a little bit more about that. Um, well, that's actually, I mean, that seems to be the foundation for yeah. existential kink is the resolution of like, well, what happens if I'm making all of these unconscious magical things happen and I don't like them and I do like them, but what if I actually just bring that to the conscious mind and then I'm choosing what magical things are happening, right? Yes, yes, yes. And I got, I was already though a bit frustrated, maybe more than a bit frustrated with conventional approaches to magic and law of attraction stuff, which I think the law of attraction is absolutely true. The things are, everything's operating on a vibration and you encounter things which match that request. That's true. What I have a problem with is the way that it's taught which is like trying to badger the unconscious mind into getting on board with the conscious mind. Mm. So like, we're just going to use affirmations, vision boards, you know, 
we might even use spells, rituals, uh, you know, crystals, whatever, to try to manipulate the unconscious into doing what the conscious mind wants. And even some people try to use EK this way, but it doesn't work because the actual way that the process works um, is through the conscious mind humbling itself greatly to the unconscious. So we need, so for magic to happen, we need a union between the conscious and the unconscious mind. So the conventional law of attraction folks are right as far as that goes. Um, but that union is a matter of love and it can't be badgered, it can't be bullied. So the way that I like to think about it these days is that my conscious mind is sort of like a medieval knight. Like I have these ideals, I'm on a quest, I have goals, um, but, and I want the support of a wonderful lady. I want to feel like a, a beautiful lady is on my side to, you know, giving me strength as I go and get these things. And the lady is the unconscious. And if I want her to love me and support me and be fully aligned with my conscious desires, I can't bully her into that. That's impossible. Right. I have to humble myself. What's that? You got to woo. I got a woo, 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 big time. I got to get down on my knees and be like, I am your servant. I love you. You are so beautiful, exactly as you are. Um, I'm here at your pleasure. And really, so that's the total reversal of how we're taught to live life in our Western society. We, we denigrate the unconscious, and I think simultaneously we denigrate the feminine. Those two are extremely, extremely linked because the unconscious is the, the feminine, the fertile part of us. It's like the womb in which things gestate and then are born outside as material circumstances. So we, in our culture at large, we have great disrespect for the feminine. You know, we don't value things that are traditionally feminine, like intuition or raising children. We don't give people money for that, certainly. Or moons. <laughs> all the things, all the things. Right. And, well, I mean, um, you know, we start with, with Eve, who is at fault for us not being, and I, you know, and I've always just like, because I myself, I also was raised outside of normal uh, religion. And so when people have offered it to me, I've been like, well, what is, what is the role of woman in what you're offering me? And I'm always like, why would I sign on for that? <laughs> it's highly That's disappointing. Terrible. Why is a woman coming from a man and then she is uh, faulted for wanting to be to going after knowledge and then she gets us all kicked out and this is not a jewel this is actually the the bad place <laughs> and we're waiting to get to somewhere else that's going to be a lot nicer that's the 2000 years of design we are fighting against every single day and every single action you know like no wonder we're all just like wait what why are we what Yes, yes. It creates this very divided, schizophrenic kind of condition uh, in society at large and within individuals. And yeah, big, big, sad thing. And though, so with existential kink, what's fun is that we, we practice, um, you know, really deeply surrendering to the unconscious, letting it be our, our dom in a way. And um, really deeply surrendering, really, really deeply honoring that feminine, generative part of us. And in that, paradoxically, there's a huge eruption of power that occurs. Because when you have that loving union between the conscious and the unconscious mind, that's the essence of magic. You get, you are suddenly, you're, you are at the, basically the crux of the universe. And as a magician, you can then, you know, direct from there. So um, one of the fascinating ways that I understand this, so I've created these little reinterpretations of myths. One of them that I have at the start of my book is a reinterpretation of the Persephone myth. Mm. So I have another reinterpretation of the Adam and Eve myth. So in my version of the story, it goes like this. Um, Eve, the primal woman, the goddess, uh, was all that existed for thousands of years. Um, Millennia, absolutely. Huge, huge swaths of time. And she, because she was all-powerful, she existed in this beautiful garden where, you know, she had a companion named Adam. And it was, it was good times. It was very lovely. 
But it just, it got kind of dull, like after aeons and aeons of it, all of the beauty and the being perfectly respected and worshipped all the time was just like snoozeville. So she was like, hey, I want something else. And so her friend, the serpent appeared and he was like, well, here's this apple. And she's like, what's this apple going to do? And he's like, well, it'll give you dualistic perception. So instead of seeing that you are the source of all things and all things are you, instead it'll seem like everything is divided and some things are good and some things are bad. And, uh, you know, um, that, that, death and re- that death and birth are different. Everything will seem separate and dualistic. And she's like, weird. Okay, well... Um, you know, what happens if I want, if I want that to stop? And he's like, well, it gets a little bit more complicated then because you actually have to remember that you chose to enter into this kind of consciousness before you can come out of it. And she's like, well, is that easy to do? And he's like, no. And she's like, okay, well, it is fun though. Right. And he's like, oh yeah is super I mean it's crazy fun it's really dramatic you get super scared there's all sorts of fucked up stuff that happens all the feelings all the feelings all sorts of beautiful things that happen and she's like okay sure give me the apple let's do it let's go for it I want a change of scene so she eats the apple and then suddenly she can perceive good and evil right like that she eats the the fruit of the the tree of good and evil And that's dualistic perception, and that's what we have all been in since then. And I find it very interesting because I can't even, I I consider myself a feminist, but I can't even get myself worked up into angry knots anymore about how messed up the patriarchy is or how denigrated the feminine has been. Because at some level, it's clear to me uh, (laughs) that the feminine part of me created all of it, as the goddess, as Shakti, as Maya, as the dance of reality, created all of it to have some twisted, kinky fun. <laughs> that is, that is I, I'm going to take a moment to wrap my head around where you ended with it. But yes, that is really interesting. I think for me, what has been a unique, what I was not really fully expecting in my exploration of adult candy is in loathing the patriarchy and the imbalance and so on and so forth is in seeing in developing the compassion for men who are equally suffering under the patriarchy and they themselves have never developed their own sense of sensuality and that's what and and to to be a man and, and to be a boy and to be forced into immediate sexuality before even having any sense of discovery of of personal pleasure or desire in their own way and then being like oh i'm going to now have to be a really good you know sex partner also i have no idea how to communicate my needs or what understand what your needs are and i'm never going to be able to discuss it in any way with anyone mm. ever at any point in time i'm like wow that's that's even worse it's even worse for men to be in the patriarchy and i i never mm-hmm. expected that that would be my big like, whoa, realization is that at least I get to explore my emotions in a public setting as a woman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Since I was a kid, I always felt that way. I was like, whew, thank God I'm a girl. (laughs) I couldn't do whatever whatever that is over there. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's real weird. Yeah. In... In seeing how that applies with, you know, what I think is really interesting about existential kink is really it's very conscientious acceptance of and and demand even of uh, accepting the dark sides of yourself. And I think that that's where it doesn't make any sense in like the law of attraction, which is like, you have to completely deny like, (laughs) Oh, I couldn't like, I, I am perfect. I am clean. I am the, the sparkly creature. And I definitely do not want that 
chocolate bar at all because I don't really, I don't need it. So, you know, it's just always, and I think that that is actually where in Buddhism and Eastern religion, where it, it doesn't embrace its sensual carnal life is raw and weird and messy and you can enjoy that as well. And there's Nirvana in the messiness too, right? There's like, there's no room to breathe in all of the, the religious experiences to actually be a human being, you know, mm-hmm. and be like, I am a human being. I'm going to want to desire people. It's by design that I want an orgasm. It is by the only thing that we are actually by divine design to do is to orgasm. And that's the only thing that we are immediately shamed for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, like, so how do you, how did you even begin to wrap your mind around really being embraced in the deviance-ness of sexual acceptance of self. Because, I mean, certainly if you had any type of religious background, that's near say impossible. So, like, what were your first steps in terms of embracing, like, how to live without the shame? Mm -hmm. Or even just embracing maybe the shame itself? Is that easy? Beautiful. Well, so um, I I went to Catholic Sunday school as a kid and Catholic church, Ouch. and it just didn't stick too good. It didn't it didn't get in there. I mean, it, in some ways, I still love Jesus. I would literally I was such a weird kid. Like when I was like twelve or thirteen, like Jesus was like my imaginary erotic partner, and I would masturbate thinking about Jesus. That's how I was. Oh, so wow. that's what I took from my Catholic upbringing. <laughs> Um, because I think I just, I've always had, I guess I would call it a strong leaning towards what's known in the occult community as the left-hand path, the antinomian, the, um, the tantric, the sinister, whatever. It's just always drawn me. And I've, at the same time, I've always been incredibly wholesome. And I, the way that I account for that, I mean, maybe not incredibly wholesome by some people's standards, but by my own standards, pretty wholesome. Um, is that wholesomeness is wholeness. And I've always been interested in wholeness. You know, my hero, Carl Jung, said, uh, I would much rather be a whole person than a good person. Mm. And I think that that's really valuable. In fact, I don't think there's any such thing as a good or a bad person. We're all just whole. Um, And certainly I had social conditioning. I think maybe more than, than necessarily religious shame, I probably had social shame around my sexuality, just sort of messages, you know, like back in the 90s, early 2000s, when I was in high school, slut shaming was still really cool. That was like a, you know, now it's, people are a bit more evolved, but back then that was just standard. So there was that. And um, what helped me overcome it, as I mentioned, I was involved in an alchemical community that could also probably have been called uh, a cult. I don't know if I should name it for legal reasons, but it was centered around, orgasmic meditation, sexual meditation. So I was involved in that for like two or three years, kind of somewhat peripherally. Like I wasn't the leader of it in case anybody's wondering. (laughs) I was just sort of interested to learn what they had to teach about Tantra, uh, which was a lot. I learned a whole lot. And I also learned a whole lot about like what is completely unethical sales practices because like all cults, it was also a business. Yeah. And uh, how do I say? So that was really, really helpful because that was like, I mean, I'm still in awe of, of that organization. Certainly they did some really, really messed up things, but they also did some astounding things. Like I was once in the Masonic Hall in Oakland, California, the, the Great Wright Scottish Hall, which is this huge, huge building covered in red velvet. And there were 2000 women orgasming at the same time in this room where they had set up all of these nests for clitoral stroking. I mean, it was truly grand. It was, so that made a big impression on me. And there were also, there were many other things like, then that was, you know, that was at a convention. Anyways, (laughs) 
Um, so this, this was definitely part of my path, part of my growth, and part of where a lot of my witchiness was recognized. So actually, this is, um, I'm glad that we're talking about this, because for a long time, I didn't really talk so much about this part of my journey, because it was associated with some pretty messed up things, and also because it sort of made me sad to think about, like, oh, well, I benefited so much from this magical alchemical community, but it all went to shit, because the leaders weren't right in the head, and they did unsavory things, and... I don't know how to help people have the same kind of growth that I had in that community. But I am founding something now called Wealth, which is, um, so previously I've done like short-term online courses, but this is like a long-term community and it's designed not just to be me teaching people, although it does involve that, but it also involves a lot of communal activity and connection and um, things of that nature that's designed to sort of recreate in an ethical, transparent way, um, some of the the benefit that I had from this kind of alchemical community. Um, so, uh, yes, where where I was very supported in being very out with my sexuality and my sexual energy and this like this shakti energy of orgasm. That's what they called it, orgasm. They didn't mean climax when they said orgasm. They basically meant like the energy of pleasure in the body, like Shakti goddess energy. And I had a deep experience once where I was doing the orgasmic meditation with somebody, which basically is, it involved, um, Tim Ferriss wrote about it in one of his books. It's, it was a 15 minute container. It still is. Some, there's still communities that do this in like Los Angeles and New York. Um, and some people do it privately, but a 15 minute container where like a guy puts on <laughs> a woman. Okay. Let me, let me slow down a second. Okay. A guy sort of sits on a meditation cushion and a woman butterflies her legs open and the guy puts on gloves and lube and sets a timer for 15 minutes. It's all very precise. It's like military precision. And then there is stroking of the clitoris, very small, light strokes for 15 minutes. And then the timer goes off and the guy puts some compression pressure on the lady's genitals um, to sort of settle the energy. And then the partners exchange what's called frames, where you say, like, there was a moment I felt this, and the guy says, there was a moment I felt this. And you start to learn interesting things about energy from that. So I would be like, well, there was a moment I felt this big sparking sensation going from my clitoris to your finger. And the guy would be like, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Like, there was a moment I, I felt this, like, jolt up my um, arm. And I started realizing, like, wow, this is an actual physical energy. This is electrical energy. I mean, somehow I had managed to have sex, you know, my adult life up until then, and hadn't really put it together that this is, like, electrical actual energy that jumps, you know, that moves amongst us. Oh, you, you look like you're having a thought about this, Crystal. Uh, oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, the, so my entire life, I've always been, uh, again, like I said, I, I, I never had um, any blocks about uh, sexuality. Um, the cult that I was raised in, uh, it was a woman who was in charge and um, she wasn't like a Tammy, she was like a very normal, beautiful woman, very and in charge and in control. And um, so I had never, there was no shame. There was no shame about the experience of feeling sexual. And my mom is an artist. And so there were playboys all over the house. She would paint naked. Like there was just no sense of all of that. And so my entire life has been um like it's just had a completely different trajectory in terms of me having this love of sexuality and sensuality and it's never really been checked or like ooh i should feel bad about this and um one of my biggest things is uh sensation like touch and sensation and that's always kind of been um, something I've been extra good at manipulating is like feeling the actual mm. energetics mm. of people. And when I try and explain to them that like, this is, this is actually happening. Like it, it's, it's really interesting because a lot of people don't fully understand how much they are actually engaged in something and how you can actually feel how much someone 
is present mm -hmm. in that. Like if they are actually physically in their body, their whole energetic experience and exchange is so much more tangible than when someone is only intellectually experiencing a, a sexual mm -hmm. exchange. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's, it's just, it's, it's so hard to recognize that and to not be able to really, it's very hard to say to someone what's missing because you know that they just don't, they're not even in a place of capability of really being in their body because they've never had that opportunity. Like they mm -hmm. don't even know how to even start to that. And there's so much ego that's wrapped up in like, oh, I'm a, you know, like I'm a good lover or, and uh, that men don't even really fully understand that th a lot of men aren't very sexual. Mm -hmm. And it's not really their thing, but they cannot admit to that. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, it's, that's very hard. You know, it's just, it's always been like this, this hard thing to be like, I don't think actually you're a very sexual person. <laughs> and I'm sorry about that, but you know, like, uh, you know, <laughs> you never had that chance. Mm -hmm you might need to spend some serious time understanding what pleasure is for yourself before you really can engage in um, connecting with another person. As, as a side note, and we can edit it out if, if this isn't, was it one taste? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when I moved to San Francisco, basically the first place that um, I went to, like I just sort of ended up at was One Taste. And yes, that was a, it was a really interesting experience. Um, and because I am like a deeply sexual person, like they were like, please come in, please, please, come, in. please come in and hang out. And I went to one of their meetings and basically like, I just immediately, like, I mean, everybody knew, like everybody, everybody knew what my energy was. And at that time it was real clear. And they're like, hi, like, <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. And I was like, I don't actually think I need this experience. Yeah. Because you guys are like, have a lot of issues and you're trying to work them out. And I don't have those issues. And you look, you're looking at me like I am dinner. That's <laughs> Yeah, definitely a predatory spirit afoot at one taste. For sure. Yeah, yeah. But that, that, it was just, I was like, she's got to be talking about one taste. <laughs> um, did they, like, what, was there some sort of drama that I did not, are they, did they get sued or something? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very sued. Very, yeah. very sued. And in fact, I don't even think, maybe it's, like, dumb for me to even try not to talk about it anymore. Uh, because I'm pretty sure they don't exist anymore, actually, at least not at all in the way that they did. Um, there may, anyways, they basically got shut down entirely. And the last that I heard, um, Nicole was on the run from the FBI in Indonesia and South America wow. on prostitution charges, amongst other things. So there's like, and I love her. I mean, I've, I've learned a whole lot from her. Um, but I also don't ever want to be on the run from the FBI. Right. Well, I mean, but that's, again, it's, it's so weird to see how sex cults and sex community, just the level of shaming and the level of just like, oh, you can definitely not have a sex cult or a swingers party or all of these things. But I mean, you can have a militia with like, you know, 7,000 guns and that's <laughs> totally cool. I know, totally right? cool. I know, it's definitely, so as much as, yeah, as much as I could see some things that were off with Nicole herself, there was plenty off with our culture itself that would persecute a bunch of people stroking clits. We've got to get these people in prison. Like, they have to be shut them down. They should not yeah. be stroked. Right. <laughs> no clitoris. I mean, the thing was, is she became too powerful of a witch, was the thing. Like, she became too powerful too publicly. And she was, you know, like all witches. <laughs> 
there's some debatable, questionable things about how she was using that power. And, you know, it, it was very interesting, very, very interesting. Um, so that's, that's one way of looking at it. Like, is she, she just drew too much attention and, but she was doing that, I think in, a, in somewhat of a self-sacrificial way, you know, she was like willing to be that out for the sake of her message. On the other hand, as I said, like, I know that she was, it was like, uh, money scarcity, fearfulness right. stuff that was like driving these sales tactics that were causing people to feel taken advantage of, that were causing people to then go complain to law enforcement. Because if, I mean, at least from the way that I see it, like if there hadn't been those weird sales tactics used, mostly things could have could have gone on just fine because people would have felt, you well, know. they were getting, you know, they got yeah. their orgasm, so. Exactly, exactly. And, awkward men finally got to meet ladies so it was the best thing that ever happened to silicon valley <laughs> ever <laughs> totally. yeah. yes um and that is actually very interesting about the nature of cults um like i've i ended up in a a spiritual retreat after san francisco and um it was you know, they all are, right? Like they all kind of have like, we're going to live away from everything and we're going to do things a little bit differently. And, you know, the world is a crazy place. We've, we've got to like retrain ourselves to live in, in a way that's more in line with nature or whatever. But then there's money. <laughs> and it always gets so icky when the the when you're like oh you guys have this totally you're doing everything differently and it's so amazing but then you go to the financial office and it's the same thing every single time and how would you even begin to broach how that how moving um alternative or uh cultish or, uh, you know, different types of lifestyles forward and embracing money in a way that is, um, healthy or that doesn't have that icky vibe because, you know, yeah. you could probably say that, you know, for your side, you know, you've got a, you've got a witch website and you're selling, you know, you do classes and, you know, you're making money and mm -hmm. all those things. How do you keep yourself in check? For that. Oh yeah, wonderful, wonderful question. Just letting my kitty in here. Um, so, I uh, this is a very, very active question always for me, and um, <clears throat> I think about it. Well, so a few things. Um, number one, just like sex can be the focus of a tantric practice or ingesting and theogenic plant medicines can be the focus of a tantric practice. Uh, I think engaging with money can be the focus of a tantric practice. Uh, so me and my good friend Dave Burns, we put together a class called Money. It's all about relating to money as a spirit. I don't think we're going to do that course again exactly, but I learned a lot of things from that experience with Dave, and, and my new wealth membership is a lot about engaging with um, Hermes, the Greek god of money, trade, meaning, magic, um, as a medicine spirit in many, in many ways. So um, money has, okay, so just like sex, you know, which obviously is intimate, uh, you get all up in with other people's fluids and all of their projections and the traumas that happened to them when they were three years old and their past lives and it's all mixed together, right? So money, likewise, has that quality of like being very intimate, very, um, you know, smushing you together with the, the karmas and the traumas of other people. I like to think about the eighth house in astrology, which is, uh, which has a lot to do with sex and death and other people's money. That's what it's about. Um, and so all of these, these very deep things intertwined. Um, so the challenge is, so the right hand path attitude towards that is like, well, let's avoid it. 
let's get away from it. Let's, you know, divest ourselves of that. Or at least let's put somebody, one person or a little group of people can be in charge of all the money, say like at the Vatican. And the rest of us Catholics will just try to be as poor and as possible, right? Or, um, you know, there's, there's, that's one attitude towards it that has its own problems, certainly. I think the left-hand path, the tantric attitude towards it, is let's find a way to be present with it instead of trying to separate ourselves from it. So I think, um, you know, the right-hand path spirituality is often about, like, ascending, you know, when people talk about ascension and, like, transcending earthly existence and all of that. And uh, it's nice. I don't, I mean, I don't, (laughs) I feel like, okay, it's not so nice in many ways. And I don't even think it's possible. Like, mm, so, right. Why? Why? Right? Like, why? Exactly. Here, right? It's, like, why right. do I it's, want to be in all sparkle white and like not touch anything? And I'm in the museum of space and time and everyone just sits there and, you know, twiddles <laughs> their fingers. And it's like, well, this is nice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what's, what, why? So, you know, I like the, uh, the Buddhist, the tantric Buddhist saying samsara is nirvana, nirvana is samsara. And the, uh, the Kabbalistic saying, Kether is in Malkuth, meaning heaven is right here. Mm-hmm. And uh, heaven is within. George yeah, Clinton. Exactly. Exactly. It's right here. So, um, so learning how to be fully present with our experience right here. And I think what it is, is like with money and with sex, it's very easy for people to go into their unconscious patterns with it and not be fully present in the actual sensation of what's happening right now. And that's why, that's why they're dangerous. Uh, that's why there can be traps and, and put you to sleep, so to speak, because the sensation is very, very high. And the human tendency is to only be able to, um, to have a range of sensation that we can be present with. You know, like you were talking about people like going up in their heads and not being fully present in their bodies. That's one way of escaping high sensation. Um, so learning how to be like fully centered, fully present with it uh, takes practice. And same kind of practice as meditation. I think existential kink is one form of practicing being present with that. I think like Tong Len is another form. Um, but it's an ongoing question. And for me, I, I certainly have like, like scarcity patterns. They don't manifest the same way that they used to. I like shifted them a lot. But now I can make a lot of money and spend it really fast. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, huh, I thought I just had to make a whole lot of money. It turns out <laughs> if you make a whole lot and then you spend it really fast. You're still almost, right back to the same thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So there's all different ways that these, you know, shadowy, unconscious patterns can manifest. And just being willing to become aware of them and being willing to celebrate them and honor them and enjoy them and take them as like part of like, this is part of my big messy experience here and it's glorious. And I'm not, and taking that pressure to like be good and perfect away because that just creates, that sort of makes the, how do I say, it makes the unconscious even more unconscious. The more you shame it, the more you're like, ooh, I have this pattern, I shouldn't do that, I should stop that, I should be good, I shouldn't, you know, it creates exactly the same kind of thing that keeps the pattern repeating. Mm-hmm. So that, that question is like, okay, well, what is the pattern interrupt? And the conclusion that I've reached with existential kink is that the pattern interrupt is a deep surrender, um, and praise and honor for the unconsciousness that arises, the ignorance that arises. So another way of thinking about this is, this is a fun way of thinking of it. So I was in 12-step groups for like over 10 years. And I think these are pretty well-known part of culture. The first three steps are, uh, one, you know, this is at least in Narcotics Anonymous. It's, one, we admitted that we were powerless over our addiction. Uh, two, we came to believe that a higher power could restore us to sanity. And three, um, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of that higher power as we understood it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the way I see it is 
the same higher power that becomes benevolent and makes synchronous, beautiful things happen for you when you surrender and you get clean um, is the same power that drove you to stick needles in your arm. It's the same. You know, the devil and God, the same person. Your drug dealer slash your, you know, your recovery guy. Precisely the same, the same entity. The only thing that changes is the ego's relationship to it. So as long as the ego is like, I'm in control, I can, you know, do heroin every other day, whatever, it's fine, I got this, you know, that attitude of like, I'm in control, isn't a humble attitude, and it makes the unconscious uh, act in really extreme ways to get your attention. So then when finally one day your attitude is like, you know what, I am not in control, this is way beyond me. You know, like the first step, we admitted that we were powerless and our lives had become unmanageable. This thing is way more powerful than I am. I'm, I'm basically fucked because of my own ego, of my own thing. I can't do anything. This is happening. I, okay, here, here I am. That's the first step. And it's that, and I think that's, it's the first step for anything, for any pattern change, is getting to the place where you're like, this thing is more powerful than I am. Period. The end. Do you think that there is an opportunity within um, existential kink that that you circumvent, like this thing is more powerful than I am, because you might be tapping directly into what it is that is the actual wound, as opposed to the addictions that you use to temper the. Uh, the pain that you are not willing to feel is yes that that's actually what you might be able to kind of go directly for with yeah something like existential kink like mm-hmm. I do so I, I think I, I think I get what you're saying so like there's the 12-step model of surrender which is sort of like you know like that whole language is sort of old-fashioned religious-y language there um, and then there's existential kink, which is a, a quite different approach. I think they are both fundamentally about surrender, forgiveness, humility, but there's different angles of going in and like reaching those places. Um, and certainly the existential kink angle emphasizes pleasure and agency in a way that the other ones don't so much. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa. Right, right. And, um... And I do think, so like for me, one of my like core wounds that I continually work on with EK is I have a massive attraction to feeling wrong, bad, and guilty. Mm. And I don't think that came from religion. I think that came from like my parents screaming at me when I was a kid because they were crazy, bless them. And so I still get into situations where I will unconsciously provoke somebody into being really offended by me or really mad at me. And then I'll feel guilty, wrong, and bad. And I'll be like, oh, this is so terrible. Why is everybody so mean to me? <laughs> you know? And it's like, mm. well, so I can, we did create this. I did create it. So that's the annoying thing about having the existential kink. It's like my husband's always like, having is evidence of wanting. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's like, I do know that I create that and I have, and I, I can take pleasure. Like I can set aside my little 15 minute existential kink period and like allow myself to feel the pleasure of the wrong bad. Um, I don't think I've gotten off on it fully because I haven't surrendered to it fully. And it's in that surrender that the, that union of the conscious and the unconscious happens. Um, so it's still something that like I, I try to maintain some distance from my ego kind of emotionally attached to wanting to be a bad girl. Mm -hmm. you're like you're still like, I still kind of get a little bit out of it. So I'm not <laughs> ready to go just yet. Yeah. Talk to me in two years. Maybe I'll be done with it then. Exactly. Cause that's the, that's actually what sucks about making something fully conscious and getting off on it is then it ends. Right. It's you're over. Like, oh, well, that isn't fun anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then you have to, you know, find something new to fill your time with. And it's a whole <laughs> big thing. How do you, I mean, 
in thinking about how there's just, there's such an exciting realm that is happening about, you know, as people are starting to come into saying, well, maybe I can live the life that I want. Maybe I can actually design where I am, you know, the head of this, you know, website and I'm teaching classes about how to be a witch. And I just wrote a book called Existential King and I'm, you know, and I'm making money doing this. Who knew? Right. Like as we're, you know, there's like the girls on Instagram that are making tons of money, like making like little crystal, you know, soaps. And they're like, I'm paying my bills this way. Who knew? Right. And as we are kind of getting into this place where, where, we are able to design and dream a new way of being and society is clearly a lot of the constructs are falling down. Um, how do you think that we can support ourselves in not entrapping ourselves into being unhappy anyway? Right? Like, you know, like the Anthony Bourdain example of just like, you see his life, you see that he's brilliant, you see that he's interesting, and, and who does not want to be Anthony Bourdain, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then he's, also, and he's equally as unhappy, right? How can we, as this underground society and culture, find ways to support each other and communicate that it is enough to do what we want to do and we shouldn't feel guilt around it or like actually just being happy is okay. Yeah. Uh, such a, such a deep ongoing question. Um, yeah. So I've, I've had a lot of depression in my life. So I've wrestled with this a whole lot. Like what are the conditions under which I will allow myself to be happy? Right. And it's, a, it's sort of simplistic to say, but it's basically like, I will be unhappy any time that I am believing that I am bad for myself somehow. Like that there's something about me that's going to like, um, maybe this isn't the best way of explaining it, but, but, but basically like there's something about me that's, that's bad, period. If, as long as I believe in badness, <laughs> let's say. Um, so if, let's say I'm afraid of, um, failure and I think that there's something about me that's going to cause me to be a failure, um, that will make me depressed. And, um, so as long as there's, so I think that fear and depression are very related. Mm. Uh, and so I think as long as I'm afraid of anything, I can make myself depressed about it. Mm. Um, social rejection another form of failure death that's certainly can be a form of failure according to my ego it's a big form of failure getting older big form of failure um yeah so um so the way so one of the ways that i've worked with that myself um is by getting really really cozy and intimate with these things with like that are hellishly terrifying and the fastest way i know to do that is to take a lot of ayahuasca Mm. so Highly recommend, Um, you know, it's not currently legal in the United States, so you have to go to the Amazon or you have to do, you know, have some underground connections there, Uh, but it works. It takes you deep, you know, they call it the vine of the soul or the vine of the dead, and they call it the vine of the dead because it takes you into a DMT underworld. Um, So I used to not believe in hell. I used to be like, oh, that was some Catholic bullshit. I totally believe in hell now because because I'm pretty sure that what happens (laughs) <laughs> this is this is pretty okay. Here we go. So, you know, just like the brain releases DMT when we're dreaming, it also releases DMT when we're born and when we die. Um so DMT obviously is a is a chemical and I'm not sure exactly how the material immaterial connection works here, but I'm pretty sure that when we die it's like dreaming. It's it's like we're, you know, we are in this this world and things are happening and we don't necessarily have a physical body, but still we're perceiving things happening. And we don't even necessarily have the, you know, we don't have our waking identity, but we might have some sense of being an identity. And just like in life, it's possible to have nightmares um, in, in, our, in our nighttime dreams. I think it's possible to have nightmares in your dreams after death, which would be hell. Um, 
anyways, that was a little bit of a side trip there. But it's possible to enter hell realms all the time, you know, just by being paranoid, by being fearful, by um, basically by being averse to things. Um, so the solution to that is to be to summon the courage to go right into it. Like, I'm totally willing to fail. I'm extremely willing to be humiliated. And this connects to existential kink too, right? Like, bring on that humiliation, baby. Let's go. Like, let's have this death. Let's have this, you know, shame. Come on. Is that all there is? It's all there is. You can't, it's no point trying to avoid it. It's going to hit you because it's part of the whirly gig of duality. So trying to like evade it is no good. Like, but being willing, having the courage and the heart to show up and be like, I'm willing to feel this on behalf of myself and everyone else, you know? Uh, so here's the interesting, okay. So having that willingness, it's a paradox, right? Like being extremely willing to experience the worst, most painful, awful, tragic stuff uh, helps you be extremely happy. Because then you're not, you know, trying to dodge it and concerned with, like, making yourself look good all the time in order so you can preserve yourself somehow. So I think that I don't know what was going on with Mr. Bourdain, but I think that probably something in him was telling him that there was something to be afraid of and there was something about him that was going to take him to something scary. And uh, when your mind is playing that kind of trick on you, Um, you know, I certainly, I understand. I have great sympathy for people who decide to take that route out. I mean, I just don't, I don't think it it actually takes you out of anything, (laughs) but, but it, I I certainly understand the temptation. Sometimes I, um, there's something, there's something I definitely want to get into. Um, I was listening to Existential Kink and um, and you sort of brought it up just now, so it, clearly I need to acknowledge it. Um, uh, and I just, when you said it, I just like immediately had this like, <sighs> and just started crying, just, just, and I had to like re-listen to it. I think I listened to it like maybe three or four times, and each time I just like had to stop the car and just like feel the feeling of it. And, um, it was in talking about, it was like, it was early on in the the very beginning of the book when, you know, you're saying, oh, but how could you possibly say that children would want to be terrible? They have all of these terrible things happen to them. And then you, you mentioned that there were some courageous, brave, um, souls that had chosen to take on, um, really traumatic experiences in order to heal for the collective. And that was, that was momentous Mm. for me. I think I know that that was momentous for me because my mom would actually tell me that she would, Mm. you know, I'm, I I am technically a medical miracle. There's absolutely no explanation for my Mm. life here. And, and I always knew that, like, I've always known, like, I do not know why I'm here. Mm. Like, this is not, like, why do you guys do this? Like, it was just always, like, me versus you guys. Like, this is weird. <laughs> my, my brochure was wrong. <laughs> like, this is all a lie. I could not have possibly signed on for this bullshit, right? And, I mean, even when I was seven years old, I felt that way. And I and but my mom was like, oh, no, you chose this you chose this you chose me you chose all of it and I was like always like fuck well I guess that's technically true but um (laughs) but yeah like two days ago was it yesterday or two days ago um it was like this moment where just in hearing the reasoning behind like a different type of reasoning as to why I would have been in this life and, 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 and had this very, very, very specific, very unusual upbringing and so on and so forth in the idea that it was a karmic way to bring it to like for, 
for it to be released for the the whole consciousness mm -hmm. of it that it's a healing for everybody just just super powerful like and it just kind of shifted my ideas on how how why people struggle even though it sometimes seems like why would you need to like but that there is still struggle and there there are reasons for people choosing struggle that are beyond just their own personal need to undo some knots but that it is a uh, commitment with the collective to undo those things yeah. um i don't know if you've ever read barbara hanclau but she has a really amazing book called catastrophobia where she talks about um, society after the big, the grand flood and mm. going into the caves and us losing our sense of technology and all of the things. And like, you know, we basically go to caveman again and that our sense of um, trauma and scarcity is not based on future like the future apocalypse but it is a uh wound that we have that we are have not healed collectively because we have not acknowledged it of what we have survived not mm -hmm. what we are and that's why we're like continually always in this insane scarcity we're like wait but we've got we've got stuff i don't know why everyone's so scared what is the what is going on but yet we keep reenacting and it's because of wound, not because of actual issue. Sorry, that was a long piece there. Fascinating. I will have to check it out. And oh, yeah, like if you haven't gotten into Barbara Hanclaw, she's amazing. Um, she also has a book called Alchemy in the Nine Dimensions, which is, I think, maybe up your alley, maybe, yeah. maybe a little. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Wow. Really cool. I'm very, very glad that that part of the book resonated with you. I think it is very difficult to delineate between exactly what is personal and exactly what is collective. And the fascinating thing is that, right, we all contain the whole of the collective in us. So theoretically, you know, we all have the ability to heal the collective from our own individual healing. And becoming aware of that and becoming aware of like what one's possible piece of that might be is so, so beautiful. How do you nourish yourself when you have now created this rather massive role in, uh, you know, holding space for, you know, uh, a large witch community and, you know, and, and getting to be all of these things and, you know, putting yourself up as this example, you know, how do you like find ways to nourish yourself and to sort of decompress in that, like, I'm still just a normal human being and I'm raising, you know, and I'm still real. Yeah. Oh, being real constantly. Such work. Um, <laughs> no, um, I mean, I, this is a cool question. I, I do a lot of self-care stuff. Um, I, the, the money that I've made is, helps me be privileged to do a lot of it. I do massages a lot. I have an infrared sauna. I do that a lot. Um, I, uh, my husband, Taya, is, you know, um, he's a beautiful emotional support, and we have um, sort of like... We, we do like sport fighting where we will just yell at each other over nothing for a while. That's great. That really <laughs> shakes up the energy. Um, uh, you know, making love also is great. Although, yeah, it's hard to juggle sometimes with the baby. But um, I try to eat um, this more and more. I've been focusing on um, finding a diet that really supports like a smooth energy flow for me um, so that's a piece of it and trying to I walk a lot I walk I try to walk like 10,000 steps a day so like five miles running and walking um, and um, I watch a goodly amount of Netflix um, <laughs> I really love Netflix and you know all, all streaming everything I've I don't I mean it's kind of boggles my mind 
I don't know what I feel. I guess I would be a much more prolific writer if I didn't watch so much TV, but I just, I love TV. I love the magicians. That's one of my favorites. I know. And it, it, there I'm, I don't know if I can say this without like probably getting everybody super pissed off at me, but I'm kind of okay that they're canceling it, which is like really, cause I mean, you know, I loved the books and I loved the show and I loved that they were both so very different. And, but like the show has kind of gotten into a lot of like, you know, it's it we're we're entering into deep level soap opera style. And I'm yeah, like, exactly. I love it a lot, but I do feel like it's jumped the shark a little bit. <laughs> like Right. Yeah, like, you know what? I'm I don't know what you could possibly put together for the sixth season, but I'm pretty sure I would end up getting annoyed and I don't <laughs> ever want that to happen. I want mm-hmm. you to be it's like Lost Girl. I'm like, please do not <laughs> don't you can't go past this line. You know? <laughs> right. We're right. good. It's totally good. You know, I, I don't know. If my so-called life would have had a second season. Would I've just like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah, that's deep. That's, you know, my so-called life was set in my hometown of Pittsburgh. So I had like a super fanatical identification with it. Yeah. Anyways, um, I had a little, I, I that's a whole other thing, my so-called life. But <laughs> it's I been such a joy talking to you today, Crystal. I feel like I, I would love to talk with you more in the future i sadly i have to run yeah no 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 i do I, we got our we got our hour in um i would love that too i think uh let's let's continue to collaborate because i think that there's just there's so much good work to be done and i'm just amazed at the community that um that i'm getting to enjoy in in doing the work that I love and getting to meet people that are doing the work that they love and, and how much it all really interacts. I, like, I think, uh, truly, I think existential kink is absolutely a huge part, like would be, is an amazing tool for the concepts for what I'm doing with adult candy. Um, and I'd love to like at some point, you know, sit down and talk to you about like kind of the large vision of what I'm doing because mm-hmm. I'm an installation artist and this is actually just a big art project. So, um, and also, you know, feel free to go to um, veryspicydice.com. So I actually made a sexy dice game that includes bondage and tantra. Wait, wait, wait. What's the, what's dot com? Veryspicydice.com. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Very spicy dice and ca- catastrophobia. Catastrophobia. Barbara Hanclaw. Um, she's absolutely amazing. Her and Jerry are like her husband. They are just a really amazing um, science and woo woo. And they integrate really well together. So Alchemy in the Nine Dimensions is one of my favorite books of hers and she's just amazing. So, um, yeah, so there, uh, th- yeah. So, um, keep in touch. I'll send a follow-up email that'll, um, have all of like your picture and website and all of your links and stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's continue the conversation. Have a great day. Thank you again so much. Thank you.